Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. So as we move into the story of Noah and his ark, this is probably one that's really familiar to you, whether you know the story well, but you've probably heard that name before. Maybe you've even seen the children's play set. As we're moving through Genesis here, we're kind of moving towards the tail end of a section. And what we've gone already is the creation story, that was Genesis 1, then we moved into Adam and Eve. Uh, And then if you're in a small group, a story that you got to read was Cain and Abel. Uh, Today is the flood. And then if you're also in a small group, then you'd read the Tower of Babel. And that makes up one section, very intentional section of Genesis. That we will then move into the uh, stories of Abraham and how God establishes a covenant with him. And you're going to see like, as the stars are numbered in the sky, so the generations will be with you, Abraham. Maybe that's familiar language to you. And so what we get here in, in this beginning section is a fairly repeated theme. And that in Adam and Eve, we get to see this is how the story is told. And then in the same exact way, this is how Cain and Abel and the flood story are told as well. That in, in this way, we are invited into meditation, that we get to see the same story repeated. That we get to see the same story told a little bit differently, and that when you read it all together, when you read it through, you'll see the pattern so clearly. And maybe you're even seeing it now when Tiffany was reading and all the creeping things of its kind and all the swarming things of its kind. We heard that exact same language from Genesis 1. It's the creation story retold. When I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, that's brand new to me. I've never seen that before. Why does that matter? If we continue to come back to this story, all the stories, then we'll get to see the character of God differently. We get to see that this is less about the event, this is less about us, and this is more about who God is describing himself to be. This is the story of God's relationship to us and how we separated ourselves from him and he chased us down. That every single time that there is grace and God provides the way to that grace. That is a much different story than what I thought it was of like, this is exactly how the earth was created. 100%, this is a movie camera to what happened. But instead, the author is inviting us into something much different, where he's not even asking the question, hey, how, how old is the earth? Is the flood story real or not real? The author isn't asking that question, which is really difficult because if you're going to flood the earth, like, is it real? <laughs> Come on, like, is it real? The author isn't asking that question. And so we may bring that question ourselves, which is totally fine. He doesn't offer an answer to that. Instead, he offers the faithfulness of who God is, which is significantly bigger than is the flood real or not. And I think what's been really challenging for me in this is uh, I feel like I have to know the answer in order 
for the rest of God's promises, for the rest of the stories in the Bible to be true. This one has to be true. You have to answer me this question, God, did you flood the earth? And that is like bringing up for me this recognition of uh, I am looking for the understanding for myself, and then if I can't understand it, it must not be true or it must not be good. And God does not invite us into fully understanding, but instead into faith and trust. And every single time he delivers us. I mean, the song that we were just singing, uh, we, like, like we sing it multiple times, your faithfulness, your faithfulness like, is so true and present for me. And it's like not on the fifth or sixth time that I sing these words that it's true. It's more like on the tenth time. Like we have to keep repeating this to ourselves. And like what a great song for Noah to have when he's inside the ark. And he's like, he sends, out a, he sends out a bird to know, like, are the waters done? I am expecting my Amazon package tomorrow, <laughs> instantaneously. And Noah is here invited into patience, and he's got to be singing a song very similar to that inside the ark. Your faithfulness is true. You never change. Oh, my goodness, that's so difficult. Okay, one of the things that I want to point out is that this is how we see the Noah's Ark story kind of most often. <laughs> kind of like a little bit silly, a little bit fun. You might even have a, a playset at home where you got the, like, the happy Noah and all the animals. That is how I have always seen this story. At one of our other Trinity sites, in the kids' play space, there is like a, a cartoon Noah's Ark painted there. It, it's in our culture. It's in our own church. And yet what we read about in the story is like total devastation. Like that's how the story starts. But yet so often we have this like cartoonish, cartoonish version of the story. So instead what I want to invite us into is less about uh, kind of like... All the technology is quitting on me today. Okay, so less about being masters of the story and more about being learners. So if you're a master of this story and kind of all of who God is, well, this makes you a know-it-all. This makes you someone who has arrived. And it also makes it very difficult for other people to have place in the conversation. But instead, to be a learner is to return to the story over and over and over again, that we don't just hear it one time, but we actually might hear it a hundred times and go, oh, there's something new here for me. And especially when, we're, especially when we're learners, we get to invite other people to join us because you're going to see something that I don't. Your perspective is actually necessary because I don't see the world that way, and I, and I need your version to see the fullness of God. So when, when we approach this story, I want to invite us more to be learners as a congregation and less masters. And this is so, so, so difficult especially because we reward the master. If you have a PhD, if you have a master's degree, like literally a master's degree, like you are kind of applauded or rewarded for that. And you should. But maybe the hallmark of a PhD degree is someone who admits, I do not have all the answers, and this is why I'm in the pursuit of learning more. So we are going to be in the pursuit of returning to God more and more to see what does, what does his promises reveal for us. One of the things that I think will be very evident for us is that we will see something new. When we're a learner, we're going to see something new. 
and we're going to practice putting ourselves second. We're going to have the humility to say, uh, I don't have the answers, and it's okay that I don't. That God is still faithful even when I don't understand. That is so challenging. Uh, So when we look at uh, the story, I think that it's really easy to start with, uh, is the flood real or not? And I want you to know that wherever you come from this morning, that the flood is a true story or the flood is a metaphor, there are so many scholars out there who fall on both sides. And that there is space for you here this morning, there is space for you in this church body as a, like a, as a congregation as we move forward, whichever side that you fall on, because we are not here to be masters, but instead learners and meditators, and that we all have something to receive today when we look at what this means, what God is doing. One of the questions that the ancient Near East people would be asking when this story is told is, what does it mean? Everybody has a flood story. This is so fascinating. You look at so many different cultures and they have a flood story embedded into them. Like as early as Native American cultures has a flood story. So it's not a unique story to us, but what is unique, and this is what's really powerful, what is God doing in the flood story? That's what's unique to us. That's what's unique to the God that we believe in and the God that we trust in. So we don't really have a, uh, an, a new question, but instead we're going to return to an old question. What does this mean? What, do, what does it mean about God in this story? Okay, so some beautiful parallels that I want you to see here between this story in uh, Noah and the beginning, Genesis 1, the creation story, that he sends out a dove to, to like find a branch over the waters. The very beginning of Genesis is God hovers over the deep. This is the same language being used, that the animals are described in the same way, that the ark rests on a mountain whenever all the waters subside. Eden is on a mountain, and yet the ark is like a mini Eden. All of creation is inside of it and preserved. They both fall on a mountain. Uh, Noah, when he, gets out of the, when he gets out of the ark, sacrifices to God. He, he burns an altar on a mountain. He, you know, he has, has to take wood in order to burn it. The tree of life is on a mountain. Noah, the tree that he sacrifices is the ark, is on a mountain. These, these are like so similar, so, so parallel to one another. And then this is really fascinating. The waters are separated in Genesis 1, above and below. And then you come to Noah's story, the waters collapse. And we see creation undone. And then creation reborn. It's just like such a great pointer to us that we need to be reading this as a whole, as a story. And then we get to see a more full picture of who our God is. These teach us, and all of these stories, uh, the ones that we were talking about, creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and the flood, all of these show us that humans have a persistent sin problem, right? Like, that's really clear in all of these stories. A persistent sin problem. They tell us that God always judges sin, and then finally, and most importantly, they inform us that God will never give up on his people. That through Christ, ultimately, is his passionate intensity of coming towards us, of entering into our space. 
Okay, so this is what's really, what I really, really like about this story, uh, is that this is all about God's justice. That the man, on man's heart was only evil all the time. That's a lot of evil. And that God sees this, pays attention to it, and then does something about it. That we have a God who's paying attention to the evil. And, and one of the ways that it's described uh, from, from one scholar, so this, this is a perspective, it may not be like exactly like every single time it's, this is how it's translated, but one translation could be that God sees the oppression and does something about it. Well, then you move into the Exodus story, and God hears the oppression of his people and delivers them out of slavery. And then we constantly hear that language over and over again. So I really like that one. I'm going to attach on to that one, because we see that our God is a God who hears the voice of the oppressed. And then he sees in Noah a righteous man. And what I always thought this was like, oh, Noah is perfect, because it uses the word blameless. I go, well, that's confusing, because... We get two stories about Noah. One is the flood, and the other, at the very end, is uh, this super complicated story that doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. But very clearly, Noah has a big mess up, and he, and he betrays God. What? He was blameless, but now he's not? Come on, what does this mean? That, it, that this hyperbolic language is not necessarily about Noah being perfect, but instead about Noah just per, uh, walking with God. That that he's not the one who has never, ever sinned, ever. He's actually part of the, the corruption, but instead he's spending time with God. Significantly different, because I can see myself in that story. I cannot see myself in the blamelessness. And so God does something about the, the injustice. He, he tells Noah that I'm going to, through you, define justice. When I was... Uh, working at We Raise, one of the grants that we gave was to this legal aid organization called uh, Restorative Justice Court. And so often when we think about uh, justice, we think about the court system. And if something, if something is just, well, then it's because a judge said, hey, you're going to get 10 years in prison or, or, or whatever it is. And we go, yeah, yeah, that's justice. Well, that's only the justice that we created. Because what happens when the law itself is unjust? And we've certainly seen this over time. So restorative justice court was one where this, this guy, Andre, holds up a pizza delivery guy with a knife. This is like at midnight. And says, give me all your money. And he had $200 because he's delivering pizzas. And eventually he gets caught. And instead of going to jail for three to five years, he went to this restorative justice court and they uh, built a plan for him that was in, over the course of a year doing community service, going to group therapy with the pizza delivery guy, and doing community service, and eventually hooking up with a social caseworker who helped get him a job. Because it was like, oh, are you, are you holding up people? Are you robbing people for money because you don't have money? Well, let's get you a job. And at the end of a year, where he went through this entire process. He didn't go to jail one single time, but instead went through like this very, very intense like therapy-type work and social, uh, social work help. Uh, Andre invited the pizza delivery guy to his wedding. And the pizza delivery guy went to the wedding. And we had to look at this and go, is that just? And so often, I would like to say, no, you need to be in jail. 
You tried to rob somebody with a knife. No. But yet, both people got to heal, the pizza delivery guy and Andre, and Andre now has a different life because of everything that he just went through. Is that just? What if the justice that we are being called in to participate with God looks really confusing, like that story, and kind of looks like, I don't know about that. That seems dangerous. It seems like it might not work. Noah was asked to build an ark in the middle of nowhere where there was no water and asked to participate in God's justice. Doesn't that seem a little odd, like it might not work? Might be kind of funny, might be kind of silly. I don't know about this, God. But yet Noah participates. And God is the one who is faithful and delivers Noah and, and offers justice to this earth. And then it ends, the story ends, or it doesn't end, sorry. The, the part that we know ends with the rainbow, that God delivers a, a covenant to Noah in the way that we can, the way that we know that this covenant is true is when we look at the rainbow. And this is the first time that we see in Genesis that God is establishing a covenant with his people, saying, I will uphold and keep my promise to you. You don't have to do anything. I will do both sides of the covenant. I always saw this bow as like, um, kind of like a present, like that kind of bow. But the language that's actually being used here is bow like a bow and arrow. And if you can picture this here, imagine that the arrow that would be shooting is pointed up to the sky. And that God sets his bow in the sky the same way that a warrior does at the end of a battle when there is peacetime. Say, I no longer need this. This is not necessary. But it will serve as a reminder that the arrow is not pointed at the earth, not pointed at my people, but instead pointed at me, God. When Eve is sent out from the garden, she's told, from you a seed will come. He will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise his heel. There is a destructive nature, but it is not on us. God takes that, and we see that in Jesus. We see that Jesus takes that wrath, that anger, that sin, and he puts it on himself in the cross. When he comes to this earth, we see this uh, incredible recreation, that wherever he goes, he's healing the leper, this is creation restored. When he goes and he sees the sick person with the lame legs, this is creation restored. He even has this new creation that's brought about that isn't really a physical miracle. He's sitting with the woman at the well. This is in John 4. And she is feeling outcasted and rejected. And Jesus doesn't fill up her water mysteriously. He, he doesn't like give her a bunch of money. He instead... Uh, says, I see you, and I love you. I am the Messiah, and I am here for people like you. That's it. Acceptance. That's what Jesus offered in that moment, and it was new creation for her. That we are invited through Christ's life and resurrection, that we get to bring the same thing to other people. That we get to bring that same new life to other people. 
And whenever you get to see the bow in the, in the sky, it is so often, maybe only, it is only after a storm, right? And it's just like how the physics of it work. That we get to be reminded, like, in the midst of the storms of life and the chaos of life, God sets a promise that says, do not forget, because it can be easy to. Do not forget that I am with you, because it will be easy to forget. Let me remind you with the beauty of who I am. As we move into communion, we get to see that, this, that we're going to use this language of um, new covenant that Jesus establishes a new covenant. And then throughout Genesis, we'll also hear that word again, covenant, covenant, covenant. Because guess who's breaking the covenant? Guess who's not upholding their end of the covenant? And so then God continues to remake one. And he offers forgiveness, and he offers new life to us through it. Let me pray for us as we move into communion. God, your, your restoration project goes on and on. That's the love that you show to us in Jesus, this, this constant forgiveness. Not just that our souls would be redeemed, but that our failures would be too. That the consequences of our sin wouldn't bring death and destruction, but somehow bring rivers of life. That our lives would be Edens, bringing rivers of life to other people. We are called as, as imperfect boat captains to be vessels of love and life, especially in times that seem to be plagued by war, oppression, death. Our hope is in you. And we see Eden restored in each of us through your son. Amen.